Hello, listeners. Welcome to A Writer's World. This is Sean Griffin, a poet and writer who hopes to bring some part of that world to you here on KWNK. It's a big subject, and we'll see where it leads. Today's program is entitled A Time in the Mountains. After all that has been said and written about this time, this unforgiving time, maybe the best recourse is to listen. Last weekend, I awoke in a cabin on a mountain range overlooking the Pacific Ocean. For the first time in weeks, I awoke to silence. I was not prepared for such quiet. A little sun filtered through the redwoods, the coastal pines, the madrone, and the oaks. I did not have the ease of home. There was no TV. And on the nightstand were two volumes of poetry, one by Rainer Marie Wilke and one by Pablo Neruda. Both of them were translated by Stephen Mitchell, one of the great translators of our time. I opened the volume of Rilke's selected poems and read the introduction by a young Robert Haas. Rilke devoted his life to finding another in which to dwell. He never felt comfortable directing his poetic ability at himself. His sonnets to Orpheus were lamentations to bring Eurydice back from the depths. Only then could he identify with her struggle to free herself from despair and isolation. Rilke's poetry is gorgeously written, but it is dark and filled with angst. His is not a life I would aspire to lead. He lived at the turn of the 20th century and for three years in Paris was Rodin's secretary. He met or worked with many European artists of the time. I will never be able to say I understand or fully comprehend the Austro-German poet, but I can appreciate his linguistic skills. I can listen to the reverberation of his sounds, his sound thoughts. In the cabin that morning, I was deeply appreciative of Haas's introduction. It let me into the poet and his work. I had read him before, but always felt as if I was outside, looking in, a comment I hear often from readers who want to read poetry but find it difficult or daunting. Rilke's work is both of those things, but it has a backbone, a mythology, if you will, of his own making. And this, more than anything, is what I took from the poet. He made a mythology, a bulwark against which to press, to move out and away from, to define his vision of the world. A few days later, I picked up Neruda's full woman, fleshly apple, hot moon. No two poets could be more different. Whereas Rilke's landscape was interior, Neruda was solidly focused on the external world. His odes, his songs to things, his many poems to his countrymen were ecstatic ruminations, let the reader fly to other places. Rilke did so as well, but it was flight to other intellectual places, not physical ones. Neruda's poetry was physical, earthy, and filled with references to the everyday. At one point in his memoir, he remarks that he was afraid to read before the Chilean copper miners because they were not literate, and they may throw him out for being too high-minded. At the end of the reading, they are chanting his name, so clearly did he speak to them. Neruda's mythology was altogether different from Rilke's. He pressed hard against the world so that what remained was the smell, the taste, the sour mash of humanity on the page. He could be intellectual, but he wove the words with such clarity that the reader braced for their impact. Small threads of lightning ran throughout his work to us, the reader. 
which makes me believe that Pada Nerule's mythology was the person to whom he was writing. I cannot say if this was true of Rilke, but for Neruda, the poetic equation centered on the reader. Sometimes it feels as if Neruda were in the room with you when you read him. His life, like his poetry, was animated. His beach house in Isla Negra is a veritable museum to nautical apparatus, butterflies, and large conch shells, and yes, books. This they both had in common. But for all the books, it is also clear that Neruda had friends in most parts of the world, not so for Rilke. He was mostly alone, which provides other solaces, and may have given him the quiet he needed to create his great elegies. In the quiet of the cabin, I read these two poets, not news, not who did what to whom, or the wreckage of the political landscape. I read in quiet. One morning I got up to make coffee and saw a gray fox, almost an apparition in the fog on the bluff, and many deer, young ones especially. Later I walked into the canyon, traced a creek, and turned upward to follow the light overhead. The redwoods stood for a century, maybe longer. I was at their widest girth, hundreds of feet below, and minutes from the city, but it felt so far from any noise, any length of our being, our humanity. And suddenly the quiet took me from COVID, from worry, from separation with those I love. For weeks and weeks I was isolated and alone like Rilke, looking for a place to be in this nothingness, a way to find an excuse to thrive. But I could not, try as I may, be comforted by the stoic silence. Friends were hurting, people needed touch, but nothing could be done. Walking out of the woods, the madrone so elegantly stretched to the light across the path, I imagined it was painted by an artist. No person could live in such repose, arms pulled to one side, leaning to the light. And that's what Nehruda's poems do. They lean to the light. They find a way to stretch beyond our perception. Even his poems that indict his motherland were not devoid of this desire. I walked back to the cabin and sat on the bluff. A swallow's nest was nearby in the eaves of the adjoining structure. For more than an hour, I watched the mated parents fly to insects to feed their young. The family living there stopped eating outside so that they would not disturb them. The table slowly filled with small bird droppings, a consequence of caring. Occasionally, a red-tailed hawk circled, and then what looked like a small golden eagle. I sat in the afternoon sun and finished a book and then looked to the ocean. The fog had not yet returned. Something of the day would remain, and even though I returned home not knowing if I understood Rilke, I left with his urgent, painful message at my side. And I was similarly filled with Nehruda's delight at being in the world, not apart from it. It is clear which side I fall on, but it does not take away from the beauty of either man's desire to make of their poetry a transcendent mythology. I want to close today with a section from Rilke's Letters to Cezanne. This excerpt is dated October 21st, 1907, Paris. There's something else I wanted to say about Cezanne, that no one before him ever demonstrated so clearly the extent to which painting is something that takes place among the colors, and how one has to leave them alone completely, 
so that they can settle the matter among themselves. Their intercourse, this is the whole of painting. Whoever meddles, arranges, injects his human deliberation, his wit, his advocacy, his intellectual agility in any way is already disturbing and clouding their activity. Ideally, a painter, and generally an artist, should not become conscious of his insights. Without taking the detour through his reflective processes, and incomprehensibly to himself, all his progress should enter so swiftly into the work that he is unable to recognize them in the moment of transition. Alas, the artist who waits in ambush there, watching, detaining them, will find them transformed like the beautiful gold in the fairy tale, which cannot remain gold because some small detail was not taken care of. Writing or painting requires an effort of supreme devotion and concentration. This is what Rilke saw in Cezanne, and it is what I saw in both poets in the cabin where quiet had come. This time is hard for all of us. Many things are fractured. And if you can steal a moment or a day for reflection, for quiet, however you enjoy it, do so. This concludes our program on A Time in the Mountains. Please join us in the Collective Ethersphere Sundays at 3 p.m. for our next meditation on words or stream it at kwnkradio.org. And please support your local independent bookstore. In Reno, that's Sundance Books and Music. They're open and we need them. Thank you, be safe, and spread a little kindness wherever you are.